Ken mentioned, uh, my family and I um, have spent 14 years overseas. I've been with the same organization for the last, oh, I realize Ken asked me this, it's been almost 20 years. And so got a lot of different kinds of ministry experience, but we did spend 14 years overseas. There's a PowerPoint that'll show you. We went with uh, preschool kids to Australia, and we returned uh, 14 years later with young adults. <laughs> so they've grown up a lot. If you've seen them around church, they tower over me. Um, but we had some pretty significant times as a family, as you can imagine. Oh, and I, and I still get to travel overseas. I'm still with that organization. Dave came back to take a dream role at APU. Um, I'm, so I'm based here in LA, but spend most of my time uh, at LAX or on the airplane. I, in fact, tonight I'm flying out to Australia. Um, and uh, then next month I'll be in Europe. And I was just on the phone the other day. I was thinking of the different countries I've talked to this week. Singapore, Lebanon, China, uh, Brazil, the UAE. So quite a spectrum of places that I'm connected globally. But my heart is still partially based back in, um, in Asia and do a, a variety of different work there, equipping folks and get to travel regularly, though, as we can tell, I will not be traveling there for a little while. Um, but didn't have plans, so that's not too much. Um, but as you can imagine, as a family, we had all sorts of adventures when we were overseas, all sorts of family memories. And one time in particular, um, we were in um, Hong Kong, uh, and we didn't, this is before we had language, um, and we wanted to go from Hong Kong to Macau, which is just across a waterway. And most foreigners, when they do that, they either fly, even though it's a real short distance, or they go on a tour bus. So they have help crossing the border. Well, we thought we'll have an adventure, and, and we're cheap. You know, for, instead of paying 100 bucks or something, right, we can go and just pay $1.50 and take the public bus across the border. Um, and you can imagine what that experience was like uh, in a, a variety of silly ways for us. Um, uh, we're wanting to have an adventure, and so we show up at the bus station in Hong Kong, and, you know, kind of people are pushing and shoving us into the right places and the right buses. And are, several times, I think people were asking us different kinds of questions, like, are you really supposed to be on this bus? But at this point, we don't live in China. We live in Australia, and so we don't have any language. Um, uh, and, and this pre, you know, cell phones having GPS on it. And so we're trying to navigate our way across, and we get to the Macau border, and you know, we, we do what you learn to do as, as a missionary, or probably as you travel, right? The life hack, attach yourself to a local and do whatever they do. And yet, when you're the only obvious foreigners, and you're attaching yourself to the local, and you get to the customs immigration border exiting, people are like pushing, like, no, no, you don't belong here, you know, push, push, trying to get us in a different line, right? And... Um, Eventually, we got to a line, apparently, for people, presumably, who don't have Chinese identity cards <laughs> and could cross through. And then you entered into this, like, no man's land, where you're between the one, you've exited one country and you're going to the next country, and we know no one, because no one got in our line. Um, and so we're wandering and eventually found another line to, to be able to go through the port of entry into China. And we come into the Chinese side, and it was actually, that was our first trip to China, wasn't it? Come into the Chinese side, and we're greeted with zillions of colored tour buses of all shapes and sizes. And yet, we don't know which one of ours crossed the border. And we're standing there, and we're looking and trying to, you know, figure things out. At this point, we only have one child and a baby, and we're carrying him and trying to figure out which bus is ours. Anyway, we go through, and eventually, fortunately, our, our, um, our divine gift from God was the driver came and found us. Now, I don't imagine it was too hard. Uh, <laughs> We were the only fair-skinned, light-haired people around, but, uh, and foot taller than most of the people we were around. So I think we were probably easy for him to see, but he wasn't easy for us to see, right? 
And so we get back on the bus, and we went on the bus and eventually made it into um, Guangzhou, China. And when we got there, um, I guess that was, I hadn't said earlier, that was our destination. We're trying to go into mainland China, from Hong Kong to Macau and into mainland China. And when we got there, we didn't even know how to get off the bus, right? We have no GPS. We don't know where we're going. We just have a name of a place. We showed the driver when we got on, and at some point, people are speaking in Mandarin to one another, and eventually people are tapping us and pointing, and we can't understand anything. And eventually, someone kind of takes us and tries to kind of put us off the bus to the place that we were going to meet friends. And, you know, I look back and I can laugh, um, and yet... That was the beginning of many of those kind of experiences for us in China, even when we had a GPS and the language. Um, but I remember laughing as we got to our destination and laughing about the fact that these people on the bus probably went home and sat at dinner with their families, telling the stories of these crazy foreigners. What were they doing in our part of the world? They don't even know how to use a bus. They seem to have passports, but how on earth did they? They don't even know how to use a border crossing. They didn't even know where to get off the bus. Like. Oh, how crazy, right? We are, the, we are the stories of those dinner tables and the humor. Um, but it, it makes for good memories, and it didn't uh, totally turn us off because we eventually moved back to China. We were in, we'd been in Australia. We eventually moved to China full-time and did start taking language classes, which I'll refer to later. Well, our text today presents Jesus on a, on a similar kind of road trip. He was stepping out of his own culture, and yet he had much greater agility and much greater confidence than we did on our trip. The text says that Jesus was on his way to Galilee. It says to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. So you see the map. He's going from Jerusalem down to Galilee. But the reality is he didn't have to go that way, right? You see the the path on the right. The longer route goes across the river. And that was the path that most Jews took. I think all Jews took, right? But Jesus chose to go through Samaria. That's pretty radical. The Jews normally took the longer way because they despised the Samaritans. But Jesus took the road less traveled, and he did it really intentionally. Can you pass me my prop here, Don? Anybody remember these? Anybody know what this is? The, The children have moved out, right? The children have moved out. I texted Ken and Don and said, hey, you got one of these? They're like, no, but guess what? Mark and Linda Miller. (laughs) And the fact that it's in such pristine condition in 2001, we figured this must be the last one ever printed. They're saving it. I shouldn't get it too smudgy. They're saving it, you know, to auction off later. Yes, yes, yes. Church fundraiser. We could give it to missions. Remember those? We used to use those to get around. And so when I left... When Dave and I left California uh, post-seminary and uh, to move to Australia, that was pre-smartphones, pre-GPS, and we used one of those. When we came to L.A., we used one of those to get around. Yeah, when we moved to Australia, we had the same version from Melbourne. Fast forward, 14 years later, we came back with a smartphone, and people introduced us right away to Waze. I love Waze. I love Waze, right? You tap in your destination, and then it gives you all sorts of options. Right? You can pick the option based on the shortest time, the shortest distance. Um, I, I love the carpool feature. That's why one of my favorites with Waze, when I'm in the car with Dave or something, which is most of the time uh, since I work from home, you get to you know, pick the fastest way based on what you want and where the carpool lane. And when there's an accident or traffic has, construction, traffic is built up on the road, it lets you know so you can pick an alternative way to get there. Well, 
the Jewish navigation system was similar. And instead of typing in around time or distance, they tended to put into their navigation system, avoid unclean people. And in this case, their normal navigation system of the prior map, right, they went around. While it was more distance, it fit their values. Avoid the unclean, stay in the clean, go in that direction. Jesus' choice was incredibly significant. As I mentioned, the Jews had no, and you know this, the Jews had no engagement with the Samaritans. They looked down on them because they were an ethnically mixed people. And while the Jews and the Samaritans shared some um, ethnic and beliefs, ethnic cultural history, um, and some commonality on that front, the Samaritans had intermarried. And so they were considered ethnic half-breeds, spiritual traitors. The Jews despised them. And so in this story, it's particularly radical that Jesus moves out of his own culture as a Jew and intentionally crosses into this culture, and not just a culture of equality, but a culture that would have been seen as less than. Now, we know a variety of people who've stepped out of our congregation and gone into new cultures. Hopefully, we don't consider them less than, but that they've stepped out, right? Think of Kevin Dixon, who went to the Czech Republic. The Stalkups took their young family to Thailand. I just read their, this is a slide, I just read their 2019 year in review. Some of you probably saw it with the fun pictures. I love how they put their youngest in preschool so they'll acquire the language right away. I love how Michael has used a tutor to help him with his language so he could speak to college students in Thai. Now, it's a tonal language. That's really impressive and undoubtedly took a lot of work and discipline on his part. Um, uh, Christy is partnering with Buddhists, so the newsletter said, she's partnering with Buddhists in order to uh, advocate for children's welfare and child protection laws in that part of the world where that kind of stuff is unheard of. They've entered into that culture. They brought the gifts and skills that they had here, but they've entered in to a cross-cultural environment. And I know a variety of you have, have been cross-culturally, not just to travel, but you've chosen to do that for the sake of short-term missions. Perhaps you've been to China or Mexico or the Czech Republic. And some of you are engaged with different cultures without even needing to leave Los Angeles. We have a variety of teachers here, like Tamara Lemon and Casey Steiner. They've chosen to be in school environments with high needs and a variety of cultural backgrounds. And then there's a variety, undoubtedly, of others of you that are teachers and parents that are involved in those same kind of school environments. You've got, you've got high immigrant populations and plenty of different backgrounds in those places. You don't need to go overseas to be able to be immersed in that kind of environment. These things are in us and around us in our everyday lives. So when I think of missions and the cross-cultural involvement, it's not just go over there, but it's go right here out of your comfort zone in the course of our everyday lives to be able to build cross-cultural relationships and to be intentional about stepping out of our comfort zone. The ethnic cultural barrier wasn't the only one that Jesus crossed. The fact that Jesus had a conversation with a woman was radical. Got some the pictures, some artwork around this. Culturally, rabbis were not supposed to interact with women. And we know in particular that she was a marginalized wo woman. The custom of her day was for women to go retrieve water either early or late, or to go in groups for the sake of safety. But this woman came by herself in the hottest part of the day. 
Jesus chose relates Jesus' choice to specifically relate to her highlights the major cultural and social barriers that Jesus was choosing to cross. And I like how the text records the woman expressing her shock and and Jesus' surprise, and and the disciples' surprise when they return and they see this conversation taking place. This particular artwork, I liked, um, it was kind of fun looking up pictures that kind of went with the story and how each one captured a different element of the story. And this one in particular, I thought, just had a great expression portraying the kind of surprise and kind of like, this doesn't make any sense, (laughs) right? The woman is shocked, it's surprised. It might be as if Don showed up at a USC tailgate party. Well, <laughs> well, wait till the end of the sermon and we'll crossing out of our culture. You know, or what about the Pope showing up at Planned Parenthood? Can you imagine the surprise on both the Pope's entourage? We don't expect these things to mix together. And yet Jesus made a choice. While others are aghast, Jesus wasn't bound by cultural norms. For the sake of the gospel, he chose to step out of the, the norms and expectations of his culture in order to make the connection. Now, I naturally want to avoid those kind of environments where I'm apt to feel out of place or don't fit in. It's so much easier to hang out with people who are like me. It's less energy. It's less work. Dave and I live in a condo complex, and we've got lots of diversity around us. And um, we also, the nice thing about being in that kind of environment is people are out walking their dogs or playing with their kids, or we have a community pool. And so there's lots of opportunity for interaction. And I love that part. And... I also have several neighbors that don't really speak any English at all. They're Chinese neighbors. Uh, the grandkids, of, particularly of one family, the grandkids of the children that are in schools are, are bilingual, but in particular, some of the parents and the grandparents don't speak any English. And so when I'm at the pool, it's so much easier to talk to the people that speak my language. And yet God regularly nudges me, particularly with this one grandfather, to use my, you know, I took Mandarin for several years when I was in China, several times a week, and yet it's terrible. And yet God nudges me to use that to try and speak to him. It's so much more work. Or I'll be coming in from a run and think i got to get to do several things, and I'm saying hi to the kids that are out on their scooters, and Grandpa comes. And I have that choice in the moment. What am I going to do? You know, I can travel cross-culturally, and people are amazed that I get on the plane, and I go to all these different places to do cross-cultural ministry. And yet rubber meets the road when I come in from that run, and I'm in a hurry and on my agenda. Am I going to take the time to connect with somebody who probably doesn't have a lot of other social connection, particularly in his language outside his family? Am I going to take the time to say hello and to greet him and to use my broken Mandarin and feel vulnerable and helpless? Much easier to go cross-cultural when I'm on a plane and I'm the hero than it is to let go of my agenda and to be more flexible and to be more vulnerable in my own, my own driveway. The text presents a p- picture of Jesus being led by God rather than by his own cultural presuppositions or his need to follow the cultural norms. His navigation, you know, God's ways, were significantly different than his contemporaries. You know, I imagine Jesus starting off his journey knowing his options, and just as we punch that into our ways when we go, our destination, and we then set the preference based on how we wanted to filter our options, I imagine that Jesus was doing the same thing as he needed to go to Galilee. 
you don't need to put the slide back up. I just eventually thought, oh, and he was thinking about that map when he wanted to go. And his filtering choices seemed to be more around kingdom impact and God's values rather than personal convenience or comfort. Going through Samaria was a strategic stop for him. The text shows this huge impact. It provided an opportunity for Jesus to demonstrate that God's values weren't necessarily aligned with their Jewish cultural values. Sometimes it's difficult to separate the two in our world today, isn't it? We're so immersed in our own culture. Our background, our friends, our environments, they tend to reinforce one another. Be it our political views or how we steward our money and time, who our friends are. Our American culture would say, adopt a political point of view that best serves your own interest. Your money is hard. You've worked hard to earn that. Do with it what you want. Similarly, our culture encourages us to spend time pursuing hobbies and providing for your family, being around people that are like you. After all, it's easier. But as we read the Bible, as we really relate to God, we see different values, especially in letting go of our self-interest. God invites us to think more about how do we serve and bless others rather than how do we take care of ourselves. And this perspective, as I know you know, it radically shapes the choices that we make. Jesus modeled that. So does Kathy Sanders. She's a businesswoman. She's an empty nester. She could be expanding her business, planning for retirement travel, or focusing on home improvements. All those things that our culture would say are important for a woman at her stage of life. Now, those things aren't bad in and of of themselves, and Kathy may engage in those things. But Kathy is choosing for something radically different. Anybody been in her home when she's been sewing PJs? She sews these pajamas, and she delivers them on her regular trips to Baja, Mexico, to support the women and children at Casa Esperanza. She wants them to know that they're valuable, that they're loved, that they're seen, that they matter in the world. In doing so, she's inviting more stress, risk, and discomfort into her life in a stage where I think the culture would say, hey, kids are out of the house. You know, your time is yours. So people would understand if she didn't do that, and yet she continues to choose to go. She trusts that the good things that God will do will be significantly more than the cost of her discomfort. And I see this kind of values reorientation in Bruce and Tammy Rayner as well, sitting in the back. They have a variety of health issues and family needs. Everyone would totally understand if they just focused their attention on taking care of themselves. And yet, they continue to choose to host international students in their home for short-term stays. They prepare meals, they do lots of listening, they take them on outings, they bring them to church. I love their heart and values. Their willingness to step out of their comfort zone to live their kingdom values. Going back to the text in John 4, Jesus asked the woman to give him a drink. He said, will you give me a drink? And what I like about this part is Jesus is seeking to put himself in a place of mutuality. The picture portrays this aspect of the text really well. They're at the same level. I like that. Missions isn't about doing good deeds for those who are different or needy. 
but it's about building respectful relationships and esteem rather than relationships based on dependence. Jesus doesn't present himself as all self-sufficient and just focused on her needs, but he first starts with a place of um, humility. He's asking for help. He's tired. He's thirsty. He asks for a drink. And I love that the ministry doesn't start from a position or role of power, but it puts ourselves in a place of vulnerability. And I think that's a lot of what God did in us, particularly as we went to China, if just we're there and helpless with the culture, the language, and so much. And it's out of that place that God invites us to serve and give, not out of the place of being the all-knowing white Americans with lots of education that they get esteemed in China, because there's that part too, and yet that wasn't what ministered to people. That's what makes them think, oh, these heroes have come. And yet what really goes is you're, you're vulnerable and helpless, and they have to help you with the language and buy things and get off the bus. Later in the conversation, Jesus does offer to help this woman, but first he came from a place of relationship rather than treating her as a project. As you know, cross-cultural relationships are not usually easy or pain-free, right? They stretch us. They pull us out of our frame of reference. They require us to be patient. I think of my long-term friendship with my friend Selena. She's taught me so much about the uncomfortable realities of racism, oppression, white privilege, and my own bias. She's super fun. She's great to be around, has a great sense of humor. And at the same time, her perspectives and experiences have challenged my worldview and deepened my understanding of systemic racism in our country and in our world. She's now a missionary in South Africa. It's been a painful journey at times, but I've experienced deep love and grace through her. And we have deep affection for one another, and it's fun that we both have been living cross-culturally and comparing our stories on the mission field. I want to just acknowledge that Jesus doesn't just simply give the woman living water and let her go on her way, but he asks about her husband, knowing her past. And I think the important part of that part of the text is just that Jesus is able to accept our difference. He's showing care. And yet at the same time, he does have an element of challenging assumptions. Cross-cultural ministry isn't just about accepting everything, but it's about being able to have those gentle places of inviting, inviting others out of their comfort zone as well. We don't just assimilate in. Jesus doesn't jump to push or to judge, but he puts a comment out there and lets her respond as she, as she likes. And I want to highlight the end of the story. The woman came for water, and Jesus offered her living water. Jesus ch changes us in profound ways. As God does work in us, then God does work through us. The text report the whole town came back to meet Jesus. The whole town. <laughs> That's a lot of changed lives. Jesus himself didn't reach all of Samaria, but he just touched the lives as he went on his way. And as we invest in people, they're the ones who will multiply the impact. Just as Bruce and Tammy touch the lives of the students that are in their homes, those students, and particularly the ones who've come to Christ and experienced God through Bruce and Tammy, they go back to Brazil and to China and to Japan as different people. They bring that love and hospitality of God into those places, that their schools and neighborhoods and communities are touched, and so on and so on. Because Jesus was willing to take a cross-cultural risk with this woman, the whole city was impacted. Jesus' small, intentional choice on this road trip 
Moving beyond cultural assumptions results in multiplied impact. The same thing can happen to us and through us. When we're willing to be the daring kind of people who step out of our comfort zones, who intentionally build relationships across cultural boundaries, we're going to continue to see God do some cool stuff. We're going to see our faith get stretched, so we have to depend more on God, and we'll gain a wider perspective to see the world through somebody else's eyes and through other lenses. And through these cross-cultural relationships, we'll continue to experience and give witness to the gospel in deeper and deeper ways. Mm. Mm.